find Psalm number 23 in your copy of God's Word or on your Bible out there. As we continue our journey through the Psalms, we come today to one of the most beloved of all the Psalms, perhaps one of your favorite ones. Many of you have spent time studying this. If you've ever been in one of CJ's small groups or life groups, you've probably spent many, many months or semesters studying Psalm 23. And I'm thankful for this amazing Psalm. I'm grateful that we get to do a bird's eye perspective of it together this morning. Just to remind you where we are in our journey through Psalms, we're taking the Psalms in terms of themes to help us see more of the wonders of what we see revealed in the book of Psalms. And we're in the middle of three weeks of what we're looking at, and we call them Psalms of Confidence. Psalms of confidence, Psalms of trust, Psalms that are designed to help us put our confidence, our trust in the right things. Last week we saw the first one of these, that was Psalm number 16. So we looked at Psalm 16 last week, I asked you the question, do you know that God cares for you? Do you know that God cares for you. And so my question this week is, you've thought about that. Has that been your experience this week? On the good days and the hard days, on the days of ease and the days of trials, have you been able to know with confidence that God is caring for you? Well, today I want to take it one step further and not just ask the question, do we know that God cares for us? But I want to take it the next step and ask this question this morning. Are we thankful for God's care for us? Are we thankful... For God's care for us. There's a big difference between knowing something is true and being thankful for it. If we're thankful for something, that means we appreciate it. That means we value it. That means we see it as good for us. It's even something that would make us glad or give us joy. So as you reflect on God's care for you on the good days and on the hard days, are we thankful for God's care for us? Are we appreciating the specific ways that God cares for us? Are we valuing the fact that God is involved in our life in so many little details? Are we seeing what God is doing in our life as being good? Are we thankful for his care for us? As we read Psalm number 23 this morning, wants to be looking as we read, how does God care for us? So as we look for that, how does God care for us? There's two images that are in this Psalm to help us see how God cares for us. The first several verses are an image of God as a shepherd. And it paints a picture of how a shepherd cares for his sheep to show us how God cares for us. But the last two verses in particular is a picture of the image shifts from a shepherd with a sheep to a king hosting a banquet for an honored guest. So as you see the two images, the image of of God as a shepherd and God as the host of a banquet, what do those teach us about how God cares for us? So as we come to Psalm 23, can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? Let's look at Psalm number 23. I'm reading out the English Standard Version. If you're a visitor, you're welcome to follow along with the words on the screen also. Psalm number 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word to us. Thank you that you've painted this beautiful picture for us of how you care for us to help our simple minds understand your amazing care for us, your children. 
God, I pray for myself and these precious brothers and sisters that today as we read your word and talk about it, God, the, the wonder of you being a shepherd and you, the wonder of you inviting us to your banquet, God, would just overwhelm us in a good way. So we see how you care for us. And I pray that you might use your word today to stir our affections to you, that we would stand in greater awe of you and we might look at our lives with closer introspection to see are we really thankful to you for all that you have and continue to do for us. We pray that you'll be glorified in all this. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So Psalm 23, I mentioned to you this is a confidence psalm, a psalm designed to boost our trust, our confidence in the right things. Some scholars argue that instead this is a thanksgiving song. It's not a psalm of confidence. It's a psalm of thanksgiving to help us praise God. I'm not quite sure why scholars debate that because I think those go hand in hand. A psalm of confidence that helps us understand in the greater depths how God cares for us should lead us as the Holy Spirit applies to us, should lead us to greater thanksgiving. So I think it's both and that David has written these images to help us be more anchored in God's care for us to then drive us to respond to God's grace with thanksgiving and praise in our heart to our creator. David uses two distinct images in Psalm 23 to make this point to us. And I want you to realize at the outset these two images come from his life. I think one reason why this psalm is so dear to so many of us is because it's so vivid, but it's vivid because these are David's own experiences. Before David became king, he was a shepherd who cared for sheep. So when he describes what a shepherd does for sheep, he's not reading anecdotally some James Herriot at the Times book about what animals are like. Like he himself spent years of his life shepherding sheep. In fact, what you see on the screen, 1 Samuel chapter 16 verse 11. The context here is the prophet Samuel has been sent to anoint, to set apart the next king of Israel. And so Samuel goes to Jesse. This is David's dad. And he's asking for to bring all of Jesse's sons. Well, Jesse does that except for he doesn't bring David. And so Samuel responds to Jesse and says, are all your sons here? And Jesse said, oh, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, almost excusing here, he's keeping the sheep. He's a shepherd. He's out in the fields. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him for he, I, I, we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent him and brought him in. Now he, this is David now, was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So at the very outset, even when David was anointed to be king, what was he doing? He was out taking care of sheep. So all these images that stick with us from Psalm 23 come out of David's own experience before being king. But towards the end of Psalm 22, the image shifts to a king hosting a banquet for an honored guest. And that too was true of David's own experience. When he became king, he had the prerogative of who to invite to sit at his table. So 2 Samuel chapter 9, we get a glimpse of this. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 6. One of David, if you remember from the Old Testament, one of David's good friends was a guy named Jonathan. Jonathan had a son, and he's got a fun name to say here, Mephibosheth. And so Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, is, come, is basically before David here. And so Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, I am your servant. Now, verse 7, notice the prerogative of the king to change the status of someone. And David said, And do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul and your father. Notice this. And you shall eat at my table always. The king had the prerogative to invite whoever he wanted to to come sit at his table. So David takes these two images from his life, from his early days as being a shepherd and then later days as being a king who he could invite to his table. And he breathes those into this here to help us see how that shows us how God cares for us. 
So from these two images, I want us to see several different ways that God cares for us. And I want to give you a question with each one to help us pause and reflect. Because the Psalms are not designed just to be nice intellectual curiosity for us. The Psalms are designed to make us pause and reflect and to pursue and to seek the Lord. So the first thing I want you to see, how does God care for us? And are we thankful for it? The first way we see here that God cares for us is God pursues us. God pursues us. Friends, this is not a psalm about what we do. This is a psalm all about the sovereign God pursuing us. What does it mean to pursue? It means to follow someone with the intent of catching them. So if you're driving down the boulevard and you see blue lights flashing behind you, I'm sure it's never happened to any of you, right? And you see the blue lights flashing behind you, the police officer is pursuing you. Not because he's just curious what type of car you're driving. He intends to catch you. And he's not going to turn off those blue lights till he catches you. That's the idea of pursuit. You're following someone to catch them. This whole psalm is a picture of God pursuing us. Look at verse 1. It's bookended with this idea. Verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. Don't miss that word is there. The Lord is my shepherd. It's stating a fact. It's stating a reality. The sovereign God has chosen to be a shepherd to us, his people. Can I just remind us that sheep don't go choose their shepherd? You never have a group of sheep out in the field be like, he looks like a handsome man, and he looks like a good shepherd. They go over there and start buy, buy, and buying at the guy, so it'll take them. Sheep are pretty stupid. They're not going to follow the shepherd. The shepherd pursues the sheep that he is going to care for. So at the very outset, the Lord is. He's made himself our shepherd. He has pursued us, but not just one time for the point of salvation. Look at verse 6, the bookends of the psalm. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, shall pursue me all the days of my life. This word mercy is the word for steadfast love. So you could translate this, truly God's goodness and steadfast love will pursue me all of the days of my life. But not just in my life now, look at the last part of the verse, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Friends, let that sink in. Yahweh, the infinite God who spun trillion, a billion trillion stars into existence in the sound of his voice, is pursuing us, not just for salvation, but is pursuing a relationship with us every day of our life and will for all eternity. God cares for us so much he pursues us. So I want to give you a question. I'm going to give you several questions in the sermon. I hope you'll jot these down and ponder these this week. Here's the question for you. You'll see it on the screen. Are we thankful that God pursues us, or do we try to run away from him? Are we thankful that God pursues us, or do we try to run away from him? Again, if I ask you at the beginning, are you thankful that God cares for you? I think every single one of us, we get the church and say, oh, sure, yeah, I'm really glad that God cares for me. But when the rubber meets the road, so to speak, when we look at our own hearts, are we really thankful? Remember, if we're thankful, we value something. If we're thankful, we see this good for us. If we're thankful, we appreciate, we even find joy in it. Are we really thankful that God cares so much for us, he pursues us? Do our lives show that we're so thankful that we're receiving that pursuit, or are we turning and running away from him? When you look at your longings, when you look at your desires, do you see thankfulness that God is chasing you? He's pursuing you to catch you. Or do you find yourself running away from him as he's chasing you? God cares for us by pursuing us when we would never on our own pursue him. There's a second way I want you to see that God cares for us. He not just pursues us, he provides for us. God provides for us. Look back in verse 1. This is incredible. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So I will not want. The more literal word here for want is I will not lack. So you can read verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I will not lack. I will not lack what? 
Because I think we all lack things that we might dream of or want or enjoy. So what is it that God's promising we will not lack? It means we will lack nothing that God knows that we need. God was not going to give us every desire we have. He's not going to give us every want we have. This doesn't mean that if I, if I just want a new car and I want a bigger house and I want more money and a raise and down the list that God's going to give me all those things. It means God's going to give me everything I need. I'm not going to lack anything that he deems that I need. I'm not going to lack anything that God knows is for my good. And ultimately that means I will not lack his presence and you will never lack the presence of God. That means sheep can be content because they can trust that their shepherd who's pursued them will give them everything that they need. So here's my question for us. Are we thankful that God provides for us? Here's my question. Are we thankful for God's provision or are we consumed wanting other things? Are we thankful for God's provision? Are we content with what God and his sovereignty has given to us or are we consumed wanting other things? Friends, we live in a culture that is obsessed with wanting more and more and more. We're bombarded with messages that you need the newest technology. You deserve that raise. You need the newer car. You need the bigger house and the better job. And on and on we could go. And all the advertising around us that we see all the time from billboards to before the movies and on TV and on the radio is all pushing at us that we need more and more and more and more. And friends, though that's all around us, the reality is our sinful hearts can be so discontent. Our sinful hearts can start hearing that and start wanting more of that. Friends, do we trust that the shepherd who has pursued us and who knows what we need and knows what's best for us has given us what he deems we need? Are we trusting in him? And are we thankful for his provision? Or do we find ourselves wishing that God had chosen to give us more or something different? It's easy to say I'm thankful for God's care, but do my desires show I really am thankful for his care and I'm content with what he's chosen to give to me? Are we thankful for God's provision? Or are we consumed with wanting more? So God pursues us, God provides us. Also, we need to see in Psalm 23 that God satisfies us. And studying this, studying this psalm this week, this is the image that most has stuck with me. This has just blown me away reading on this and thinking about this week. God satisfies us. It's a common theme. You're going to remember this from last week. In Psalm 16 last week, God was our portion. Remember that image from Psalm 16 that if a thousand items of food are on the buffet line, God's the one you pick. He's the one you realize will satisfy you more than anything else. He's our portion, our cup. Well, David uses a different image here for it. And I love this. Verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. So what does that mean that we lie down in green pastures? Well, in the time in Israel, a lot of the, the, the sheep herders, the shepherds, had to move sheep from place to place to place to place because they eat all the food and they have to move on to another place and get more food. And, and they kept moving. The sheep were weird because they were traveling from pasture to pasture to pasture. But there were certain times a year and there were certain places in the land where there were what they called green pastures. This meant that the, the grass was so lush and so thick that the sheep could stay there and never have to move because they would never run out of the food they needed. That's the image here for us, that God leads us to green pastures. God leads us to a place of satisfaction. where We don't have to run from place to place to place to place to place to try to find what we need. He's given us the green pastures. Everything we need is right there. Hence, the sheep can lie down. They can rest because they're not worn out, moving from pasture to pasture to pasture to pasture. They can lie down and rest because everything they need is right there, and it's not going to run out. They have what they need with the food there and the green pasture. They have the still waters, the springs they can drink from, and it's not going to run out of supply for them. It's an image for us of total satisfaction. And God pictures us, pictures us being satisfied in him. He leads us to his green pastures of his presence. He leads us to his still waters. So the beginning of verse 3 can say, he restores my soul. He so satisfies us that our soul can be restored. It can be refreshed. It can be renewed. And it will not run out in his presence. 
So here's my question for us in light of this fact. Are we thankful for God's sufficiency or are we running after other things to find joy? Are we thankful for God's sufficiency that he satisfies and he alone can satisfy? Or are we running after other things to find our joy? Friends, if God's presence really is our green pasture, we don't have to run from pasture to pasture to pasture to find what we need. Are we content? Are we satisfied being in God's presence? Or are we running after other things? Are we running from relationship to relationship to relationship to try to find our identity? Are we running from entertainment venue to entertainment venue because we're trying to find some joy or happiness we feel is lacking in our life? Are we running after sex? Are we running after food? Are we running after money because we feel like there's something lacking? Those things make us feel good. Or are we so content that the shepherd has led us to his presence and his green pasture that we know we can lay down in that pasture? We know that we can sit in his presence. We know we can drink of those still waters and we are satisfied in him to where all those things that pull in our culture from the sex to the food to the money to the relationships entertainment have no pull on us because we're so satisfied in his presence. Are we thankful for God's sufficiency? I think we'd all say, oh, of course I'm thankful that God cares for me. I'm thankful that, that God's all that I need. But our affections and how we spend our time and what we long for, if we look in our heart and have the Holy Spirit search our hearts, what does it show? Is God sufficient for us or are we running after other things? So God as a shepherd pursues us. He provides for us. He satisfies us. But I also want you to see, number four, he guides us. The good shepherd guides us. Look at verse 3. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Now, path of righteousness here doesn't mean paths that make me righteous. We can never become righteous on our own. We saw that all throughout of Ephesians study. We can never become righteous enough to run to God. God has to cover us with Jesus' righteousness. So what we have here are not paths to make us righteous, but rather the righteous paths that God is guiding us down, the right paths of our lives that will get to him. God cares so much for us that he will guide us down the path that will lead to him. How does he guide us? Remember Psalm 119 a few weeks ago? Psalm 119 verse 105 is a beautiful picture for us. His word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my, what's the next word? My path. That God has these righteous paths, these right paths in life ordained for us. So it get us from where we are now to him, to be with him forever. And the light that keeps us on that path is the Word of God. As the Holy Spirit illumines it to us, it guides us and keeps us on the right path. God cares for us so much. He hasn't left us without revelation. He has given us His Word to guide us. So again, back to my first question. Are we thankful for God's care? We should ask, are we thankful for His guidance? So here's the question. Are we thankful for God's guidance? Or do we run after our own ways? And it's so easy to say, oh yeah, I'm really thankful that God guides us. But when I look at my daily decisions, when you look at your daily decisions, do our decisions and the way we live our lives and how we spend time or not spend time in his his word, does it show that we really are thankful that God has spoken? Does it show that we really are excited that God cares so much he has given us a path to run down? Or are we saying, oh, I know it says that, but I've chosen this path and I'm going that way. Do we treasure, do we value the path, the right path that God has ordained as he has laid out for us in his word? Are we making our own paths? For ourselves. If we're thankful for something, guys, we value it, we see it as good, and we find joy in it. So we think about God giving us a path that we're to run down, and as countercultural as that path can be today, do we find joy and thankfulness that He has given us that path to run down, or are we running after our own ways? Friends, God is a good shepherd. He loves us so much, He cares so much, He's going to glorify Himself for His namesake so much, He's going to pursue us. He's going to provide for us. He's going to satisfy us. He's going to guide us. But there's another one here, and it's one that honestly we don't like. 
He's going to use trials for our good. He's going to use trials for our good. Now, we don't like to run to this one, but it's here in Psalm 23. It's throughout all of Scripture. The path of righteousness, that right path that God ordained, is not an easy, broad interstate without any bumps in the road. The right path, that righteous path, often will take us through very dark places and very deep valleys. You've heard me say it before, but I think it bears repeating. God's plan for our lives is not to get us from birth to death in the safest, easiest, happiest, wealthiest, most comfortable way possible. That is not the Christian life. That is not God's goal for us, is to get us from birth to death in the easiest, safest, happiest, most comfortable, wealthiest way possible. Look at verses 3 and 4. These go together here in this. Notice the flow in David's thought. We don't want to isolate this. Verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. He leads me in the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Wait, wait, wait. Let's go back to back. He's guiding me. He's leading me on the right path. And the psalmist immediately says that those right paths are going to take me through the valley of the shadow of death. What is he talking about? Remember, David was a shepherd at the time. To get to those green pastures, which were, seasonal, which were seasonal, where the sheep could rest and find the green pasture, to get from where they were to those green pastures required going through something they called wadis, W-A-D-I. They were steep cliffs. They were like dry riverbeds with steep mountain cliffs on either side of them. The sunlight barely got down in these mountains, like valleys, as they'd walk through. So the sheep would have to go down these very dark paths. There were wild animals all along it. There could be robbers along this. And it was terrifying for sheep. And it wasn't fun for the shepherds either to go through these wadis, these deep, dark valleys where the sunlight barely made it down to get to those green pastures. David took his sheep through those. And friends, God in his love for us is going to take us through those wadis, take us through those valleys, those shadows of death to get us to those green pastures of his presence. And notice verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. The shadow of death is not just physical death. Yes, it includes that. So teenagers, as you guys have been facing the death of a friend this week, you've been walking through the valley of the shadow of death. That's an appropriate application, but it's much broader than that. The more literal rendering of this, and some of your Bibles may even footnote it, it literally means when you walk through the valley of deep darkness. We walk through the valley of of deep shadows is what's conveyed. And so, yes, facing death is part of that, but this is broader than that. This is any trial in life, any of those dark shadowy tunnels we walk through in life, those dark dark shadowy valleys we walk through are apply in this. And so, friends, God cares so much. He leads us through those trials, through those dark valleys, through those wadis, through those places of darkness in life, for our good and for his glory, for his namesake, because he's going to do something much bigger out of it. Think of David's sheep when he was leading them through those valleys. They weren't excited when they couldn't see around the corner. They weren't excited when it was dark. But when they got through that, because the shepherd was with them through it all, and they saw the green pasture on the other side, they found the joy and the gladness. And that's the image for us in our life, friends. God hasn't promised our lives will be easy, but he's promised as his sheep that he will walk right alongside us through this darkness so we have nothing to fear because he is with us and he will bring good out of it. James picks up on this in James chapter 1, verse 2. We read this one several times. It bears repeating because we all walk through dark places in life. James says this, and this is as countercultural as it can come. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Wait, wait, wait. You mean to find joy? How do you find joy in the trials? Life can stink at times. Life is hard times. And you want me to find joy? Why? Because of verse 3. For you know that the testing of your faith 
produces steadfastness. And steadfastness has its full effect so you can be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. How do trials become a tool of making us steadfast and perfect and complete? Only when the good shepherd walks through them with us. God is so sovereign and he's so big, he uses trials to bring great good in our life and great glory to him. So again, when we go back to, are we thankful for God's care for Sure, that's an easy yes answer. But how about when it comes to this? Here's my question. Are we thankful that God uses trials or do we want a life of ease? Are we thankful that God uses trials or do we want a life of ease? It's so easy in our own hearts to want to go from birth to death in the safest, easiest, happiest, wealthiest way possible. Or are we content that we have a good shepherd who will never leave us or forsake us, who gives us joy and peace and hope. And when we hit those valleys like teenagers, like a lot of you have been walking through this week, that you know the good shepherd is walking right there with you. And at the end of this, you're going to find a greener passion you've ever found before because he is going to use it to grow you and to glorify himself. Are we thankful that God is so big and so sovereign? He could even take the brokenness in this world and the trials we face and use that for his good. Or in our hearts, do we really not want that? Do we really want a life of ease? God cares so much. He pursues us. He provides us. He satisfies us. He guides us. He even uses trials for our good. There's one more image here from the shepherd thing I want you to see. Number six, God cares so much he protects us from spiritual harm. He cares so much for us that God and his sovereign power protects us from spiritual harm. Look at the last part of verse four. It says, you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. Now, there's an image here that's hard for us because we're not shepherds. I, I doubt many of you have spent much time in a pasture with sheep. If you have, I'd love to hear more of your stories about that. But I, I've never spent time out in this pasture hanging out with sheep. At the time, shepherds carried two tools, a rod and a staff. The rod was what they took for defense. When they're walking their sheep through those valleys, if a wild predator comes at them, they use their rod to beat the predator away to keep the sheep safe. So they use the rod to protect the sheep from the threats outside of the sheep. That's not the only danger of the sheep. Sheep are stupid. And they can make really dumb decisions and go the wrong way. So the staff becomes the tool the shepherd has to correct the sheep. When the sheep starts to go the wrong way, they can get gently nudged back. If they're going the wrong way, he can yank them with it. If they get really, really off track, he can even knock out their feet from under them with it to get them going the right direction because he loves them so much. It's defensive, but it's also protection from the sheep's own harm. This is the image for us here. God is our rod. He protects us from temptation Outside. Now, how does he do that? 1 Corinthians gives us some insight. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. This is an incredible verse that we need to memorize and meditate on. It says this, No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. Let me just pause there, friends. That means whatever temptation you face this week, you're not the only one who's dealing with that. There's no temptation unique to you that no one else has walked through. Probably anything you face, many others in this room have faced as well. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. But notice this. This attribute of God. God is faithful. How does God show his faithfulness to us here? He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Let me pause here, friends. Do you realize that? That God is using his rod. Here's the image of the shepherd with the rod. He will not let Satan tempt you in ways that you cannot resist by his grace. doesn't mean your own strength and trying harder. But by his grace, there's no temptation that you or I will ever face that we cannot overcome by God's grace. This is incredible. That means that Satan would love to tempt us in more ways. And God says to the enemy, stop, you can't go there. He or she can't handle that. God only lets us be tempted in ways that by his grace we can overcome. Now let's notice the last part. With the temptation, he, God, will also provide a way of escape. You may be able to endure it. This is the rod of God. The sovereign God 
It's, this is not, when we think of spiritual warfare and Satan and God, this is not like Star Wars where we have the force and the dark side. You never know sure who's going to win. God is sovereign. He's ruling. Satan is so limited and so, and so small compared to the bigness of God. Satan can't even tempt you in ways unless he gets God's permission first. He has, doesn't have the free reign to do whatever he wants to. God draws the boundaries, and you cannot be tempted in ways by God's grace. You cannot endure by God's grace on that. That's God's rod. But friends, there's a greater threat than the temptation outside. And the greater threat is our own hearts. The reason we follow temptation is not because of all the pull of outside. It's because our, our sinful hearts won't what's out there. And parents, if you were with us for that Paul David trip, parenting simulcast a few here, this radically changes our parenting. The greatest thing we can do for our kids is not to protect them from the danger out there. The greatest thing for our kids is to help them see the danger already within their own hearts. They wouldn't want the danger out there if their hearts weren't longing for that. We as parents have to guard our kids' own hearts and help them see their propensity to want that. But friends, we have to guard our hearts as well because if we're honest, our hearts want what is out there. And that's why we run after the temptation. So God not only uses the rod to protect our temptations, he uses his staff to correct us when we go astray. Hebrews explains this for us in Hebrews chapter 12. This is an amazing text, another one we should memorize and meditate and think about. Listen to how it describes God's care for us. This is God's love for us. This is not some type of retribution or punishment. This is God's loving care for us. When we as sheep go astray from the path that he has us on, when he's given us a way out from the temptation and we don't take it, what does God do? Hebrews 12, he uses his staff. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved, when corrected by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Remember, this is care for us. He chastises every son whom he receives. And then, in, and then we're going to jump down to verse 10. In verse 10 and 11, now we you see what it says here. It describes in terms of human parents. For they, our parents, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our What? He disciplines us for what? He cares so much, he's going to lead us through the valleys. He cares so much that when, we, when the temptations are coming, he actually stops some temptations so that we can't, don't fall to them. We only have temptations that we can find a way out. But then when we do not take that path, he gives us and we stray. He loves us so much, he doesn't leave us going down that. He disciplines us for our good that we might share in his holiness, that we might become more and more godly like Then verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. We don't know who wrote Hebrews, but whoever it is, thank you for being honest with us here. Discipline is not fun. It's not pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God cares so much as our shepherd. He uses his rod to protect us. But ultimately, he's going to use that staff a whole lot because he loves us so much. Our greatest danger is not the world. Our greatest danger is not Satan. Our greatest danger is our own hearts. They want what's what the world has. It wants the lies of the enemy. And so if we're his child, he uses his shepherd's staff to correct us. And friends, let me just say this. If, if we're continuing in sin and there is no conviction from God, we're not a child of God. There's lots of people I meet who go through life saying, oh, I know I'm a Christian. I prayed that prayer. I did all these things. I go to church. I'm a good person. But when there's sin in their life, they're persisting in unrepentant sin and there's no pursuit from God in their lives. Friends, if you are continuing in sin, unrepentant, and there's no conviction, no discipline, you need to get on your face before the Lord today and cry and go, am I really even your child? Because if we are loved by God, his child, his sheep, he will discipline us when we go astray because he loves us so much. But parents, just like you don't discipline other people's kids, though you probably are tempted to at times, 
God disciplines his own children. I don't know if you've been like me. You've been in a restaurant, and there's the kids next to you. are like, man, I wish I could discipline the way I do my kids, and it would be a whole much peaceful environment. We only discipline our own children. God only disciplines his children. If we are not experiencing the loving discipline of the Lord, friends, we need to take a hard look at our hearts. Are we really his children? God loves us so much. He cares for us so much. He protects us from spiritual harm. So here's my question for us. Are we thankful for God's protection, or are we running towards temptation and sin? Are we thankful, friends? Again, we can say, I'm so glad God cares for me. But friends, are we really glad that God cares for us? In that moment when the temptation is so strong, we want whatever it is, and God gives us a clear way out? Are we thankful in that moment that God's given us a way out, or is something in us going, eh, I wish God hadn't shown me that way out. I really want to, and then we want to go down that path. Are we thankful for God's protection? Are we running towards the temptation? And friends, are we thankful when we get miserable in our sin, when God convicts us and breaks us in our sin? Are we thankful for his grace in that moment? Are we wishing that he would just leave us alone? When we say we're thankful for God's care, are we really thankful he cares so much that he will discipline us in our sin? Are we running towards the very thing that he's trying to discipline us for? God cares so much. He pursues us as a shepherd. He provides for us. He satisfies us. He guides us. He uses trials for our good. He protects us. But there's one last image I want you to see and one more question that comes from it. And this is where the image grows. This is a phenomenal image. Now we're not just stupid sheep that the, the shepherd is dealing with. We're now the honored guest at the king's banquets. This is coming from later in David's life. God cares for us so much. I just want you to see, God cares for us so much, he gives us his very presence. Talk about the culmination of all these things of his pursuit of us. He cares so much, he gives us, he offers to us his very presence. Look in verse 5, and I pray God lets us get the wonder of what verses five, what verses 5 and 6 say here. It says, You, God, prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. It's a picture for us, a metaphor, an image for us of being invited to God's table. And God's invitation is so strong, no enemy can stop us from getting to this banquet. Nothing can hinder us from getting to this banquet God has prepared for us. And this is not like a small thing. It's not like God saying, hey, I'm going to meet you at Chick-fil-A and give you an eight count tonight. As good as that is, that's not what he's saying here. He says here in verse 5, you prepare a table for me. Literally, in the Hebrew, it means there is a well-set table before me. What's a well-set table? The closest we can come in our culture is probably think of Thanksgiving with your grandmother. When you have this spread of more food than anyone could possibly eat. That is a well-set table. We're told here that God has prepared. He has a well-set table before us. Friends, this doesn't sink into us as much as it would the people at the time when they heard this. In the Old Testament time, to eat at someone's table meant you had a deep relationship with them. There was profound intimacy with them. There was a deep bond with them. Let this sink in. Yahweh, who is our great shepherd, who is the infinite God who created a billion trillion stars that sound his voice, says, Come, sit at my table. I want to be in relationship with you. I want to be close with you. I want you in my presence, and I want to share this with you. Yahweh invites us to sit at his table to be with him to enjoy his blessing. But lest we think we're some like peon guest way down the line, he treats us as his honored guest. In Old Testament times, when the honored guest arrived at the banquet, they poured oil on the head of the honored guest. So look here in verse 23, back in verse 5. So he, he has a well-set table before me. And he says, you anoint my head with oil. So the banquet hall doors are open. God's sitting at the table inviting us in. And when we walk in, he stands up and he puts oil on our head because we are the honored guest at the banquet. 
Let that sink in. We're not just in God's eyes some stupid sheep out there who needs care. He loves caring for us, but he now welcomes us to his banquet hall, invites us to come to his table, and puts oil on our head because we are his honored guest at this. But it gets even more astonishing. This is not a one-time meal with him. One-time meal with the king would be incredible, but this is more than that. Look at verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And notice this. And I shall dwell, live, forever abide in the house of the Lord. How long? What's the next word? Forever. This invitation to banquet with the sovereign king, the great I am, is not a one-time thing. He says, forever I want you in my presence. Forever I want to show my glory and my greatness and my majesty to you. Forever I want to pour forth on you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. Forever I want you to see my glory and be in my presence. So friends, when we sing the song that we're going to sing in a few minutes into the service today, once you're in a me, now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. This is one of the places we get that from in the scriptures, that we who are enemies of God... We were just stupid sheep needing our own way. We were enemies of God. We were the ones who were opposing God. And God in his grace grabs us lost in our sin and wandering, brings us into his sheepfold. He, he pursues us. He protects us. He guides us. He leads us through trials. He sanctifies us in all that. He gives us everything we need. He satisfies us. And then on top of that, he says, hey, come sit at my table now and forever and gaze upon my glory. I want you in my presence every moment of every day. We were his enemies, and now we're seated at his table. So, friends, here's my question for us, my last question for the day. Are we thankful for God's presence, or do we want the world? Are we thankful for God's presence, or do we want the world? You know, we'd all say when we say, God cares for us, yay, that's amazing, I'm glad God cares for me. And it's easy to say, I'm glad God is with me. But, friends, do we day by day even realize the invitation we have? Do we realize every day that the banquet doors are open and the great I am is saying, come feast with me today. I'll put oil on your head. Your enemies can't stop you. You can be in my presence right now. And not just right now, forever. But until that forever, when we actually see him face to face with unveiled eyes, friends, are we living our days longing for that banquet with him? Are we longing day by day to open his word to hear him speak to us? Are we longing day by day to respond to him in prayer and in worship? For who he is. Are we accepting his invitation? Or are we turning down his invitation for all the temporal things that the world throws at us instead? Are we thankful for God's presence or do we want the world? Friends, Psalm 23 paints us two beautiful pictures here. First, of an image of God as a shepherd who pursues us, he chooses for us to be his sheep, a shepherd who provides for us, who gives us all that we need. A shepherd who satisfies us and gives us green pastures because he gives us himself. He gives us peace and joy and hope. A shepherd who guides us through his word and through his Holy Spirit, applying his word to our lives. A shepherd who takes us through the valleys by design to bring good for us and glory to his name. A shepherd who protects us from the enemy's schemes and protects us from our own fleshly desires. But a shepherd who becomes the king and who then invites us to his banquet, who welcomes us as his honored guest, who gives us blessing upon blessing upon blessing, and who gives us his very presence. So again, last week I asked, do you know that God cares for you? This week, can we think about this question? Are we thankful that God cares for us? Are we thankful that he pursues us? Or are we running away from him? Are we thankful that he's provided for us? Are we wanting other things? Are we thankful that he is sufficient for us to satisfy us? Are we looking for other things to find joy? 
Are we thankful that God guides us in his care? Are we running after our own ways? Are we thankful that God uses trials? Or do we want a life of ease? Are we thankful that God protects us? Or do we want that temptation, that sin that's before us? Are we thankful for God's presence? Or do we want the world? As I share those, knowing that I fall short in them and you fall short in them. And every one of those questions that I ask, I'm convicted by those. Because so often, that banquet door is open, I'm not running through it either. Because we all fall short of responding to the glory and majesty of God as we should. So share these not to bring us to a place of brokenness and despair, but to remind us of the invitation of the Good Shepherd and the King. Because if we're his sheep, if we're his guest at the banquet, he stands ready to pursue us, not just that first moment of salvation, but pursue us every day. So friends, if you're like me as you meditate on Psalm 23 and you realize I'm falling far short of responding in thankfulness to God the way I should. It's not a call to try harder. It's a call to talk to our great shepherd and great king about it. Because he delights in giving grace. Like our kids sung earlier, oh, for grace to trust him more. Oh, for grace to be more thankful. Oh, for grace to desire more of his presence. Oh, for grace to respond to him the way we should. So, friends, if you're like me and you see this and it's so convicting to realize how far short we are of running through that open door to the banquet hall that he gives us, can I encourage you as we sing our closing song in just a moment, just to talk to him. He knows where your heart is. He knows where my heart is. We don't have to do any pretense with God. We say, Lord, I need grace. Or my heart is not longing for your presence. Or, Lord, my heart is trying to find sufficiency in all these things besides you. Lord, I'm running after. I'm not taking the path that you give me to escape temptation. Whatever it is, as the Holy Spirit shows you, respond to the Lord and say, God, I need your help. Because we can't do this on our own, but he gives us his Holy Spirit within us who convicts us and encourages us. And he gives us his word like this so that we repent and believe. So, friends, if you're struggling to pursue God like you should, don't try harder. Talk to him. Ask him for grace upon grace. And the good shepherd loves it when his sheep come to him and say, I'm needy. He delights in welcoming us back and guiding us. The king at the the banquet, when you go in and say, I've missed your invitation. I've not been responding to it. I'm here now. He doesn't scold you at that point. He welcomes you with an open arm and says, I want to be with you. It's a follower of Christ. If you're not where you need to be in pursuing God in response to his pursuit of you, just cry out for grace. He delights in giving it, like we saw in Psalm 1. Friends, if you're not a follower of Christ, I'm not asking if you prayed a prayer or joined a church or did all these things, but if there's no evidence that your heart has been turned, no evidence that you long for his things. There's no discipline when you sin. If you're not experiencing that, I would encourage you to read Psalm 23 and meditate on it and cry to the Lord going, I thought I knew you, but I don't know you. Please come rescue me. Be my Lord, my boss, my shepherd, my king. And God loves responding when you cry out to him in his pursuit of you. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to stand and sing this moment, Jesus, thank you. And I pray as we sing these lyrics this morning that these would come from the depths of your heart. That as you think about God's greatness and his majesty and his glory on display and how he has shown himself to you and pursued you and chased you and transformed you, I pray this would be an overflow of praise back to him for his amazing care for us. Let's be thankful for all he's done. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful for your amazing care for us. To think you looked upon us, wretched, undeserving sinners. And God, you didn't condemn us like our sins deserve. You poured out your mercy and your grace on us. But I think you took us your enemies and didn't just make us your sheep. That would be incredible enough. But Lord, you've now invited us to your table and given us a banquet and made us your honored guest. God, I pray in my heart and the heart of these precious brothers and sisters that you would increase our awe and wonder at this thought. 
that we have an audience with the great I am, the great King. Lord, you've taken away all of our sin that the Lord Jesus bore it on the cross. Lord, thank you seems so inadequate, but I pray in my heart and the heart of each one of these friends today, God, that you would increase our thankfulness by your grace that we might respond and worship you for who you are and for all that you've done. So God, this week, would you increase our awe and wonder of you, increase our awareness of your grace, increase our awareness of what we have as you as our shepherd and king. Would you lead us to a place of thankfulness, not just when we sing in here, what we say in here, but all week long, we'll be overflowing with thankfulness because your Holy Spirit is reminding us of our identity in Christ each and every day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?